Hello, and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. This week, it's Tubi time, baby. <laughs> yeah, we got into the, onto the Tubi train. I got, I don't, Lindsay, have you gotten onto the Tubi train yet? Yeah, I started watching a whole bunch of Tubi. Nice. Um, they have a lot of New Zealand and Australia stuff on there, I've noticed. So yeah. I'm pretty sure if Miss, I don't know if Miss Fisher is still on Netflix, but if Miss Fisher ever leaves Netflix, I feel like it's going to show up on Tubi pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it might. I haven't seen Miss Fisher on Canadian Netflix, but I don't know if she leaves altogether. Tubi's the yeah, next place to go. Also, I'm pretty sure you can find all the episodes and the movie on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> um, we're not talking about Australian television on Tubi. In fact, quite the opposite. We're going to New York, the greatest city in the world. That was drifting more towards Boston, but okay. I don't know. I don't know how to do an accent. No, that's true. My abs are so fine, you can grate cheese on them. <laughs> um, technically, we're at Staten Island. I don't. I don't know what that means. I am not familiar with the boroughs. <laughs> I trying to figure out which island is that one. <laughs> We've never been. Okay. <laughs> I have never been to New York. Here's everything I know about New York. Steve is from Queens. Peter's from Brooklyn. <laughs> no. Or did no. I get that mixed up too? Yeah, yeah, it's the opposite. Steve is, <laughs> Steve is from Brooklyn. And Peter's from Queens. Um Oh, where do where's the Baxter building? I, I wanna say it's in Manhattan. Probably? Manhattan is also an island, correct? Uh, yes. Stalin Island is a borough of New York City coextensive with Richmond County in the U.S. state of New York. Located in the city's southwest portion, the borough is separated from New Jersey by the Arthur Kill and the Kill Van and the rest, and from the rest of New York by New York Bay. With a population of 49,747 as of 2020, it is the least populated borough, but the third largest land area. Uh... Well, it was the home to the Lenape indigenous people, settled by Dutch colonists in the 17th century, and one of the 12 original counties of New York State. Uh, and then consolidated into New York City in 1898, it was formerly known as the Borough of Richmond until 75, when its name was changed to the Borough of Staten Island. It has sometimes been called the Forgotten Borough by inhabitants who feel neglected by the city government. But this is not a New York City podcast. <laughs> no. Today, I am specifically talking about the 2002 crime drama film Wise Girls, all one word, but with the G capitalized. Okay. That's a play on Wise Guys, because it's about the mafia. Uh, the story centers around Meg Kennedy, played by Mira Sorvino, a medical school dropout who gets a part-time job as a waitress working at an Italian restaurant in New York City. She befriends other waitresses Kate, played by Melora Walters, and Rachel, played by Star of Glitter, Mariah Carey. Oh! <laughs> who, of... Out of everyone, probably turns in the strongest performance. Oh! Uh, anyways, after befriending them, Meg learns that the restaurant is run by mobsters as she delves deeper into their dangerous world. Um, premiered at Sundance and was released later on HBO and Cinemax with international distribution managed by Intermedia Films. Upon release, the film received mixed or average reviews from critics with praise for the plot twists, themes, and performances of the cast, particularly Carrie, but criticism for its directing, tone, and overuse of mafia stereotypes. Um... So, so here's the thing. First off, praise for the plot twists. There's only one plot twist. There's just a, I was expecting a whole lot, and maybe I read into it because it seems like they were setting up a whole bunch of stuff. No. 
Nyet. Nothing. <laughs> um, and also, they're, they're very correct for the directing. It's very for Nyet. Do, do you know that one clip from Bohemian Rhapsody where it has like 70 different cuts over the course of two minutes for no discernible reason? Yeah. Yeah, because I watched that movie. The directing's a little bit like that. And I don't, Ooh. I don't know whether this is like the, the vision or if this is the editor saying, no, this is the best I could do from what I was given. Either way, it's not good. <laughs> it's, it's not ideal. Yeah. Also, the mafia stereotypes, a little difficult to avoid. Like, don't want to get into the thing where everyone, it, every Italian in New York is part of the mafia and the mafia are like very heavy Italian stereotypes, but they are working in an Italian restaurant. And I feel like if you're an Italian running an authentic Italian restaurant in an like, Italian neighborhood of Italian expats, yeah. there's going to be a lot of Italian stereotypes. Yeah, and if anything, the mafia, well, not as much as they used to, but they kind of did play into certain Italian stereotypes, so yeah. Yeah. Um, like even, it also, play, remember that time you told me that if you want to have a good front, like you, if you want a restaurant to be a good front, it still has to be a good restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got to move money through it. They they are very much that. They are taking as much, as much pride in their crime as they are their food. One of the first things that the restaurant manager says to Meg when she applies for the jobs, like this, this is a real authentic Italian restaurant. We're not dealing with any pizza or spaghetti and meatballs. You can go to McDonald's for that or something like that. Even though there is something to be said about Italian-American food, because what happened was it was a lot of Southern Italian immigrants were coming from the part of Italy that was the poorest area, like, with the worst geography for, like, wheat. Like, some areas didn't have wheat bread. They had, like, chestnut bread. This isn't a fancy thing. This is, like, the only thing that we can ground up into a flour. And they come to the U.S. and Canada, and they're like, oh, you can get meat for super cheap, and dairy products, and cheese, and chocolate, and coffee, and wine, and booze. <laughs> and they all just went hog wild, because why not? Yeah, but these these mobsters are very committed to authentic, even though, like, if it's Italian-American, it's Italian, but they're like, no, this is yeah. authentic Italian, no American interference whatsoever. Like, do they go straight up regional? Because, like, there are some pretty distinct regions that we're talking about in Italy. I don't know if they say so in the film, but that is something we can add in here. Yeah, okay. So I'm, you keep talking, I'll look up Italian cuisine. I'll deal, I'll deal with the crime and the plot stuff, and you will become the restaurateur. <laughs> like, yes, a lot of mobsters come from uh, Sicily and the Naples area, but there was a lot of immigration from other parts of southern Mostly southern and eastern Italy. Because the north was very industrialized. Woo! Anyway. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, the the plot is, as I mentioned, as I, I was reading off the Wikipedia summary, <laughs> uh, Meg is a med school dropout. She's staying with her grandmother because she doesn't have a place for herself, and her grandmother has some manner of dementia that we don't really dig into whatsoever. Okay. Uh, she has a caretaker named Mrs. Saladino, and Mrs. Saladino directs her to go work at the an unnamed Italian restaurant. They never actually named the restaurant in the film, I don't think. Huh. Probably because they didn't want to risk it naming it after a restaurant that really did exist and someone getting really pissed off. Yeah, that's true. Which is fair. Mm-hmm. Even if you put in the credits, like, hey, any re- resemblance to genuine uh, restaurants that are fronts for the Italian mafia are purely coincidental. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Meg gets the job at the restaurant. Uh, then she befriends the girls, like we said. Also, like she, she does really bad when she first starts. She's a terrible waitress. Yeah. She is spilling things. Mm-hmm. She's unable to remember uh, like who ordered what at which table. And then like she tries to carry just two plates from the kitchen, and the head chef is like, "What the fuck are you doing? You carry everything at once." And so one of her friends is like, "No, you put one in the cookie arm, the other in the cookie arm. You're gonna be carrying everything at once, and you just go, girl." Yeah. And then one night she's called to the back because uh, one of their regulars has literally shot his nose off. Oh, okay. They're doing cocaine. He went outside, was waving his gun around, and he shot his nose off. And so she has to basically play doctor <laughs> and stabilize this guy because they can't just take him to a hospital because of mafia stuff. Um, she She's basically freaking about everything. She's like, oh my god, I'm bad at my job. Oh my god, the customers are flirting with me. Oh my god, this man shot his nose off. And like that, um, that is also an understandable thing to freak out about. She also freaks out mm-hmm. when she sees that a customer has like a concealed gun on him. And she, like, freaks out and spills all the shots on him, which is bad because this guy, like, may or may not be the son or the head of the family. Yeah. I can't recall because there is about six identical mafia guys in this movie. I think if we were running the costuming department, we can make them a bit more distinct. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's really, it is the suits. They all have the same suits and the same hairstyle. Yeah. The only the only one who stands out is the head, uh, Mr. Santolino, because he is an old guy. He has silver hair. You can pick him out of a crowd. Everyone else is the same guy. Yeah, like, I know that, like, especially today, like, after John Gotti went to prison, like, everybody's like, okay, let's try to keep a lower profile. But there's got to be the one guy in, like, the shark skin suit. Not actual shark skin. I just want to say it is the type of cloth that has a sheen to it. I'll I'll send you a picture of a shark skin suit. Okay. Yeah, that would probably but it, be the- Like, something out of Yakuza. Yeah, that would be the Son of the Dawn, easily. Yeah. He's showing off. Yeah. While this is happening, like, she befriends Meg. Like, everyone loves Meg. No, never mind. Meg is my character. Everyone loves Rachel, uh, played by Mariah Carey, because Ra- Rachel uh, gets groped by a customer, and she basically smacks him upside the head, and then she tells him to go home and not, not to come back to the restaurant until he's sober. And, like, everyone loves her for that. Even, like, and this guy's probably, like, a mafia enforcer, but even the pe- other people in the mob are like, yeah, good job, Rachel, you're so cool. The other girl, Kate, is kind of a pushover, but she's very, she's very shrinking Violet. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I just want to be a dancer on Broadway like my grandmother was, but I've been at this job for ten years. Oh, woe is me. Um, anyways, after the nose shot off situation, Meg goes to Kate, and she's like, I can't believe this man got his nose shot off in the restaurant. And Kate is like, Wow, that is wild, but you knew that this was a mafia restaurant, right? And Meg's like, what? <laughs> and then later, like, she gets a pay raise and, like, envelopes of unmarked bills as, like, tips. And she's like, I can't accept this. It's hush money. And Kate and Rachel are both like, yes, it is. You work in a mafia restaurant. And this the thing that is so grating to me about this, well, one of the things that is so grating to me about this movie is Kate, or not Kate, Meg. Meg seems to have never worked in a restaurant before, and also she's never seen any portrayal of the mafia in any media. So she is completely like, what? The mafia? What does that mean? How did she not get through life without at least one douchey guy showing her, like, good fellas? She went to... I don't know, she went to med school in Missouri, maybe they're douchey in a different way. 
No, uh, it's always, it is always, like, Scarface and Goodfellas. Uh, maybe she thought that they, maybe she thought they were only like that in the movies. I don't know the mafia was real. She doesn't actually say that, but she certainly acts that way. She's like, yeah, completely out of her depth. Has no idea what to do here. Yeah, we can say that. Like this for the original version, it's like you might as well say that she's from upstate New York or from Amishland, Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, she's gonna be much more competent in my version. Thank you. But yeah, so things continue to grow from there. I will give this movie credit that they do take the time to show the women becoming friends with each other. Like, Kate and Meg become friends very easily. And even though Rachel is much more outgoing than the two of them, she also bonds with them pretty easily. Because, um, like, they, they start, like, having drinks with each other after work. And then, like, Rachel finds out that Kate and her have the same birthday. And then they decide that uh, Meg gets to ha- share it, too, as a rebirthday. Because um, they find out the Meg's backstory is that she dropped out of med school after her husband died in a car accident that she blames herself for. And they're like, wow, girl, that's so sad. Let's stop dwelling on the past. Look to the future. Girls. Girls' friends rebirth together forever. And it sounds cheesy when I say it, because I'm trying to speed run this. But it, does, it generally makes sense. You, they have, have genuine chemistry between the three of them. And that's, like, the movie's best saving grace. All right, then. Anyways, there's a big party at the restaurant at one point, And uh, Meg is, like, privately serving... Uh, Esposito, who's the manager of the restaurant, and Mr. Santolino. Uh, and then Esposito gets really drunk and he punches Meg in the face. So Santolino and Frankie beat uh, Esposito to death. And then Frankie, who's been flirting with Meg this whole time, Frankie is the son of Mr. Santolino. Frankie forces Meg at gunpoint to basically chop the body into pieces. You're a doctor, chop it up, and we're gonna put it through the meat grinder. And now there's no body. Hooray! And if you tell anyone about this, we'll kill you because we are the mafia. And Again, understandably, Meg is freaked out by this, and so she goes to Kate, and she's like, Kate, I just want you to know that I'm running away because the mafia is scary, and Kate's like, you can't do that because I'm an undercover cop who's been working this case for ten years, and you're under arrest. Well, then. That was the plot twist, (laughs) that Kate was a cop. Okay. And then Kate convinces Meg that she has to wear a wire and go back to the restaurant and try and get a confession from from Frankie and or Mr. Santolino. She doesn't get one from Frankie, but she gets one from Mr. Santolino. But as soon as he says it, Mr. Santolino makes her. He's like, I can't believe you've betrayed the family, Meg. And then Kate shoots it, like, pulls her gun out. She's like, this is a sting, and you're you're under arrest, and I'm a police officer. And then Frankie shows up, and Meg kills Frankie, but then Frankie shoots it. and, and No, Kate kills Frankie, and then Frankie shoots at Kate, and Kate goes down. And then the other cops burst in, and Mr. Santolino's about to shoot Meg. But then Rachel shoots Mr. Santolino, and then Meg is trying to save uh, Kate. And she's like, I have to put a, a, I have to stab her in the side because the lungs are filling up with blood. I'm a doctor. And, and then she does that and then the cop partner was like no you stabbed her and then he shoots Meg and she's like ah and then she's like in her her death's pose arms up in the air for like it feels like two solid minutes before she falls down and then Kate gets up and she's like she saved me oh no she's been shot uh, and then we get a flash forward and uh, Kate is putting flowers on Meg's grave and then she goes to the new restaurant that Rachel's working at, and Rachel's like, what are you doing here? You're the reason that Kate got, that Meg was killed. Sorry, I keep messing these names up, but it's Meg, it's Kate, and it's Rachel. They're all A yeah. names. Yeah. 
Anyways, Rachel's like, Kate, I don't trust you anymore because you're a cop and you got Meg killed. And Kate's like, actually, she didn't die. It's a witness protection. And then Meg shows up and she's like, happy rebirthday because we made a pact to meet at this bar every year. Uh, and then they all cheers and it's like, friendship. And then the film ends. And I'm sitting here like, that was it? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Is, is there not more? There's not more. So there's, I breeze past them, but there's like three important plot points that I thought were going to become major things that didn't. One of them is that when Rachel's talking about her backstory and how she had to like, why she likes this, the restaurant that they go to for the birthday parties in particular, is Rachel says like her dad was like her best friend and the big, her biggest support in the family. And then one day he just disappeared. And so then she had to start making it on her own, but she'll, she always misses him and she always hopes that maybe one day they'll meet, see each other again at the restaurant. And she says that, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, so maybe her dad was, like, taken out by the mafia for some reason. Uh, the other thing is just the fact that uh, Mrs. Saladino, the caretaker for Meg's mom, like, is the one who sets up the job position at the restaurant. So I'm thinking, well, what if Saladino is in on it, too? And she's also part of the family. And she's going to come out with a shotgun to do something to Meg. Or to Meg's grandmother. Um, and then the third thing was the death of Meg's fiancé. Um, which yeah. I was like, was this also a hit? I don't, is Meg secretly like in cahoots with someone? And is she trying to take down this mob herself? I don't know. Um, so these are all things that are going to matter in my version. Yeah. For, first things first, Meg is going to be a competent waitress. Yeah. Like she lies on her resume and she's like, yes, I've definitely been waitress before. No, you haven't. But in my version, yes, she has. And she's great at a waitress. And everyone loves her immediately. We don't have to go through the, I've never carried plates before, like, arc. that Because that eats up five minutes of runtime that we can use for something else. Yeah. So let's not worry about that. Yeah. Uh, she shouldn't be, like, a baby doe. Exactly. She is not. She is a strong, She is not a fawn in the woods. Yeah. Yes. Um, Kate, Kate is the one who's, like, the ingenue. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but again, that is also an act. Yeah. Because I am, I am keeping it in that Kate is a cop. Unfortunately. But, you know, maybe she'll be one of the good ones. And by that I mean, maybe she will leave after she realizes that the cops are doing more damage than the mob are. Or maybe she's just, like, a private detective. Because I don't think that would work if she... I I could see her being a PI in the, like, the epilogue of the film. Hmm. But I think in this one, it's like, she's kind of gone full sunk cost fallacy into this undercover job. Because, again, she's been there for ten years trying to get dirt on this family and she can't and so that's why she just kind of goes all in when she sees this chance with meg yeah so maybe it's more like a renee montoya situation where it's like she's been at this yeah as you said for so long and on top of that she's been burned by basically everybody in the police department yeah it's like the ideal of changing the force from the inside is it's it does it almost never works because there's mm-hmm. too much corruption in the concept of police these days. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like, it's still a noble motivation. The thing is, in my opinion, the best way to resolve those arcs is to have the person realize, oh, I can't do that. And they leave and they pursue justice in a way that goes against the system instead of trying to work within it. So yeah. becoming a PI, becoming a lawyer, becoming a masked vigilante, those are all things that I can get down with. So, and, th- th- and that would be kind of Kate's, arc is like i mean not kind of arc it's like just because the way her character is we come in on her at like the end of the arc yeah with the knowledge that like she has been at this job for 10 years 
just waiting for something to drop. Yeah. Could also be like because she's there, she see she only sees the tor- terrible things that the mob does, or but doesn't even see them. She just hears about them, but she has no proof. But because she's not like on the street or anything, she never sees anything that the cops do. Yeah. So I I do think that the Kate reveal is going to come earlier in the film. Uh, the Kate reveal mm-hmm. comes like an hour into a ninety minute film. I do think this can be pushed to two hours. Um, I think yeah. two hours is a fine length for films, especially this one where we want to put in some plot stuff in there. Yeah. Like, actually get a feel for, like, what this particular crime family is doing. What are the stakes? How they've affected these women's lives, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, which goes into another thing, which is that... Actually, going off something you said earlier, I think we will say that Meg was coming from upstate New York and not coming all the way from Missouri. Because then she's, like, within range. Because the other thing I was thinking, like I said a few minutes ago, was that her husband died because of it was a hit. In fact, in fact, I'm going to reveal in the third act of the film that Meg is from a rival family. Oh! <laughs> and the... but it, And it wasn't a hit from the... Who are they? It wasn't a hit from the Santolinos. Meg's husband died because of the police. Okay. It's going to be that, like, there is another sting to try and, like, catch Meg and her husband, or Meg and her fiancé, in the act of something. Who knows what? They're cops. Mm-hmm. Anything could be in the act to them. Um, but this attempt to catch them in the act, and it just ends with the fiancé dying. Yeah. And the thing is, at this point in her life, Meg isn't even that deep into mafia stuff. Hell, we can say that she's she's not. She herself is trying to get out because I don't want to glamorize the mob life. That they also do not great things. Yeah. But it is a situation of like she's on the outskirts and she just so hell, we can even say that she married into it. Yeah. But her but her hus like her husband trying to tried to keep those two parts of his life separate. Two worlds separate and And she accepted that. Um, but she was also, like, glad that, like, he seemed to be working his way out. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, like, the cops, we could even have it be, like, a retirement of, like, he was able to essentially get his way out, and the his contacts within the mob promised that they weren't going to try and drag him back in. He didn't have any dirt. They trusted him not to say anything. Yeah. He's never trusted cops anyway, so he, like, it's on a, on a moral level, the other members of this family know that Meg's unnamed fiancé would never turn on them. Yeah. And then the cops end up killing him. Yeah. We could even say that Meg lies about the car crash and it was actually a shootout. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we're going to reveal is that, okay, so the Santolinos didn't kill Meg's fiancé, but they did kill Rachel's dad. Oh, okay. Rachel's dad, who was... Like, obviously, we're going to keep uh, Rachel and her family black. We don't see any of Rachel's yeah. family. We only know of her unnamed father. But anyways, Rachel and her dad are both black. And so he falls into a situation where he basically he has to run drugs for this crime family. And yeah. then when he attempts to turn on them, turn like he, he has a chance to turn them into the cops, that's when they make him disappear. He is taken yeah. out. And then because he's black, the cops like, Oh, darn, the black informant died. Well, he was a drug runner, so it's still a win in our book. Yeah. We're the cops. <laughs> Meanwhile, the mafia is burying his body somewhere out in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, or it's yep. uh, floating out in the Atlantic. Yep, and then everyone tells Rachel, well, your daddy abandoned you, because that's what black dads do. And she's like, "Yeah, that is a fucking terrible thing. I'm 12, and you're a horrible person, and my dad loved me. 
and I'm going to be a woman that he would be proud of, whether he abandoned mm-hmm. me or not, which he wouldn't because he's a good man. Um, yeah. These are, these are the main things going in. And so we get the, we get the reveal that Kate is the cop about like 45 minutes in. Meg finds this out. Yeah. She's probably going to find this out. I don't know. I think timing wise, if we're doing it a little early, it has to be before Esposito was killed. Yeah. So I think it would be in a situation where like Meg and Kate are walking home and someone tries to mug them and then Kate takes them out and Meg's like, how do you become a badass? And she's like, I've been a badass for 10 years. I'm a grizzled undercover cop. And Meg's like, what the fuck? Okay. I can work with this. <laughs> and then that's when Kate starts pressuring her to like, wear a wire, catch them in the act, do this, da 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 And Meg's like, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. This is too dangerous. Do you, have you ever heard of the mafia? <laughs> they usually find out when people try that shit. And Kate's like, no, no, if we're careful, if we play our cards right, we can do this. Like, I've been undercover for ten years. Uh, Esposito trusts me implicitly. That's when we would get to the point where Esposito was killed because he punches Meg, and Frankie and uh, Santolino take revenge on him. And then Meg has to chop him up, and like, you know, more aware of the realities of her situation or not, this is still going to traumatize Meg. And so Meg is going to be prepared to just bounce, but because now she knows Kate is a cop in my version, she's not going to go to Kate. She's probably going to go to Rachel and say, like, hey, I'm so sorry, but I need to leave. And, like, this horrible thing happened and Rachel is all shaken up by this. And Rachel, because, oh, yeah, because in the film, the original film, Rachel gets promoted to manager after Esposito disappears. And she's like, I don't know where Gio went, but I'm in charge now. That's And I love this promotion. And then, but, yeah, so Meg goes to Rachel. Rachel's like, what the shit? Uh, I had no idea that Esposito died. And you had to cut him up? Oh, God, that's terrible. Uh, but then... Meg doesn't tell Rachel. Meg will not tell Rachel that Kate is a cop. And so Rachel will tell Kate that Meg is leaving. So Meg is going to go say like one last goodbye to her grandmother. And she's going to get there and she's going to see Kate waiting for her. And Kate is going to like threaten her like, I will arrest you like you were implicit. I can make you an accessory to all this stuff. And Meg's like, do you like, really? Like we were friends. We we did a whole rebirth day with each other. And now you're going to threaten me? Wow, you really are a cop. Uh, and then this is when Mrs. Saladino is going to show up with a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. And at this point, at this point, Meg will reveal that she has been aware of the mafia situation going on this entire time. And she, like, Mrs. Saladino recommended her the job because, oh shit, my two ideas have suddenly, are suddenly not going to function. Because I was going to say, Mrs. Saladino was going to help help Rachel or helped Meg get the job so that Meg could take out the mob because the mob killed her fiancé. But th- then I decided the fiancé was killed by the cops. Hmm. So the reason, okay, hang on. Well, maybe me, the, maybe the fiancé, maybe the fiancé was in a bit of a departed situation where, like, he might, maybe instead of having, have you ever watched The Departed? I have seen The Departed. Have you ever? Okay. Have I told you about watching The Departed with my grandmother? <laughs> no. Where we we pause the movie halfway oh through to to have a bathroom break, and we turn to Grandma and we say, "So are you liking this movie?" And she's like, oh, "I think so," but it's weird how this the characters played by two different actors in the past and the future, and we're like, "What the? F- what are you talking about?" She's like. Well, you know how in the past when he's on the police force, he's played by Matt Damon, but in the future when he's working for the Mafia, he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. 
And me, it's me and my mother staring at grandma for like two minutes that last about an hour. And finally, my mom goes, Dora, those are two different characters. <laughs> oh, well, I thought it was flashbacks. No. No. So. Like we said this with love because. Yeah. My grandmother has also has seen the same movie in theaters th- at least three times because she kept forgetting, and then halfway through she'd be like, "I've seen, I think I've seen this before." Um, and then the flip side is like, she'll well, one time I went with her to a movie, and she was like, "I think I've seen this movie before." And I'm like, "No, Grandma, we're at Green Lantern opening night. You have not seen this before." Oh no! And th- there, the joke was that we went to Green Lantern on opening night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kids, let us tell you about a time. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a time where they made just made super movies for hero movies for no reason, and then Marvel started making them for a reason. DC, they still hadn't figured it out. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the Departed. Thought, my thought with the Departed is that maybe the boyfriend was in more of the Mad Damon situation, where he's a cop, but he's actually an informant for the mafia. Okay. And it's not like the cops are any better. They, in small yeah. enough town, they might as well be their own gang. But big enough town, they might as well be their own gang. So, yeah. We could just do, like, he was a dirty cop working for the mafia, and then, I don't know, maybe there was an informant in, like, a police informant in that mob. I don't know, the, Buffalo. Maybe the informant was Rachel's dad. Oh. Maybe, so maybe he didn't die when he disappeared. Maybe he disappeared to protect Rachel, but then he died more recently. Yeah, oh. And so the mob took out Meg's fiancé, but the cops took out Rachel's dad. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. And that this is suddenly turning into, like, a Jacobean revenge play. Yeah. So we we establish, well, we establish exactly what happened with Meg's fiancé. Like, Meg gives the the true story of how her fiancé died and why she came back and down. All this time while Kate is, like, being held at shotgun point by Mrs. Saladino. Yeah. Mrs. Saladino helping her because the Santolinis also killed her son or something like that. Yeah. And uh, this is when Meg is like, "Here's, here's what we'll do. I will help you put the Santolinos away. And in return, you will make any crimes that are attached to me disappear completely. Mm -hmm. Or we can kill you here and bury you under the garden. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bury you under the begonias. Actually, no. Oh, no. What they'll do is they'll say, here's the thing, Rachel. You've been working there 10 years. You're the one who's going to wear the wire. And, and, or no, not Rachel, Kate. They're going to say, Kate, you're the one who's going to wear the wire. And Kate is like, don't you think if don't you think I would have worn a wire there? I would have done so already. And Meg's like, no, because you know that they will make you if you try anything suspicious, just the way they'll make me. So at least this way, I'm safe, and I'll keep looking out for you the way you claim you're going to look out for me. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we will show in like directing and acting that like Meg is being pragmatic, but like after Kate leaves, Meg is like. Mm. But I do kind of like Kate as a friend, so I genuinely hope that she does not get made and she does not, like, end up in danger. Yeah. While this is happening, Rachel's the one who's going to be, like, digging into, like, she'll be going to the library, she'll be looking through the the, the archive newspapers from 
like earlier that year tracing stuff down. She does manage to like piece together the story of her dad. She goes to Kate with it and she like shows Kate her side of the story and Kate is like, shit, shit, her, your, I think your dad was taken out by the cops. Not because Rachel's gonna be like, I think my dad was taken out by the mafia. And Kate, who knows a few more things, like actually, I think your dad was taken out by the cops. And this is when Kate starts to doubt like the veracity of her own situation because it's like, okay, the cops are trying to take down a dangerous crime family, but how many innocents have gotten up, caught in the crossfire? Mm-hmm. And so this is when things all come to a head, basically, is Kate is going to bring Rachel and Meg together, and she's like, okay, I understand you two are pissed that I am a cop, but I think it is more important that we watch out for each other's backs now, because we all yeah. have beef with the family. And yeah. Rachel naturally be like, why would I trust you? You're a cop. And Kate's like, I don't think I will be after tonight. I think after tonight, I'm going to hand in my badge and be like, I can't do this anymore. We are also as bad. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not fired, I'm turning in the badge. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, yeah, I will, I will use the last of my authority to arrest people if I must. Uh, and to make sure that neither of you have to worry about dealing with any harm to your permanent records. And then the ending will play out similar to the film in that Kate is the one who's trying to, like, convince them to say something, but she can't because, like, she's been working there for ten years, but she's basically invisible to both Frankie and Santolino. Like, at this point in the film, Frankie is trying to seduce Meg, and Santolino kind of already sees her as a daughter-in-law. He's like, I am already making plans for the wedding between you and Frankie. (laughs) (laughs) I have the venue picked out, the wedding dress, the cake... We'll do the catering. Uh, the difference here will be that Kate finally goes to Mr. Santolino, and she she will not be able to get a confession out of Mr. Santolino, but it's late at night, there aren't going to be very many patrons there, and all of them are going to be like regulars who are aware that this place is a front. So when Santolino realizes that uh, Kate is trying to get a confession from him, he is just going to pull a gun on her right there. He's like, I, I should have known for t- ten years, and you like, You've been working for 10 years and you fluff on us just like that. And Kate's going to be like, I was never with you. And then she's going to pull a gun on him. Uh, and then Frankie's going to pull a gun on her. And then Meg's going to pull a gun on Frankie. <laughs> and Rachel is going to hide behind the bar because she is completely neutral. That she's like, what the shit? Um, and then it'll be a big, horrible shootout. And Rachel will get shot and Meg will try to revive her. And while also trying to, like, point a gun at Mr. Santolino, I'm not going to do the thing where Meg's like, I have to stab Kate in the side to release the pressure from her lungs. It's just going to be like she's standing over Kate's body with a gun, and she's pointing at Mr. Santolino. And at the, like at this point, uh, Kate probably would have said something. Kate would have said something to her partner before going to Rachel, and therefore before realizing that it's, like, a much more tangled situation than she gave it credit for. So when her partner and the other cops rush into the restaurant, they're just going to see this head of a mafia family and this person who they're now aware is, like, connected to the mafia family as well, and they're just going to shoot both of them. Bam, bam. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's when Kate will get up and be like, No! Meg! Um, no, she won't do that. That's that's silly. But she will be like, grab Meg and be like, Come on, Meg, wake up. You're, you're, you're stronger than this. Come on, Meg, come on! And then we fade. And that's <laughs> when we'll go to, like, the the grave scene. And uh, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to have it be Meg putting flowers on Kate's grave. And then she's going to go to the car, like, 
where Rachel is waiting instead of going back to the restaurant. Yeah. And Rachel's going to be like, well, I can't believe, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to say it, but it's going to be some kind of conversation where they establish that because Kate was like the only, like Kate was the only one who knew Meg's connection to the family because so many other members of the family, anyone who in the family who would have known who Meg was, was killed. Mm-hmm. Rachel didn't know anything and Kate is dead. So basically nothing stuck for them and they can't charge them with anything. They All they can say officially is that they were witnesses. Maybe Meg got a, a slap on the wrist because she was holding a gun that she was like an unregistered firearm or something. But like ultimately nothing can stick. The lawyer is able to throw it out. Yeah. The reason the lawyer is able to throw it out is because he is also connected to Mrs. Saladino. Yeah. And so it's going to be Meg and Rachel head back to the restaurant and then Kate shows up. And Kate's going to be like, wow, I never knew that Mafia Connections could be uh, cover up a death like that. And uh, Meg will be, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the family for you. But uh, I've used up all my clout. And after that, we all kind of have to disappear. <laughs> and so they, they have their rebirth day the year late. Like, th- th- this is all happening a year later. So they have their rebirth day celebration again. And they're like, well, nice, nice knowing you all. Maybe if things work out, we can see each other again in a year. And they're like, uh, hopefully. And then they cheers to that. And then they leave. And then somehow in either a conversation or just shots, we'll show that they also managed to like end up with basically all the mafia money. Like all of the funds ended up being lifted by. Yeah. We'll say that they were lifted by Mrs. Saladino. Oh, that's how we can do it. We can have like. Mrs. Saladino will show her with, like, a huge sack of money, and she puts them in envelopes, seals them, mails them off to the girls, and each of the girls get, like, a, uh, a nest egg that they can use to restart their new lives. Yeah. And that's that's two wise two girls. That's the wise girls, a new restaurant. The new dish. <laughs> Yay! I think mine is more dramatic. Oh, yes. Far more. I think... Oh, okay. Now, I... I can't remember any names connected to anything, but what was that movie that had J-Lo and uh, Constance Wu? Hustlers. Hustlers, yeah. I think it would be the same writer and or director of Hustlers. Yeah, that sounds That sounds good. That sounds like a good mix. Oh yeah, directed and written by Lorene Scafaria. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. she would be the one to write and direct this. Mm-hmm. And then... That all have to be actresses in their 30s for the ages to make sense. Rachel uh, Rachel could be a little younger, but I think it would work better if they were all in their 30s. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? I feel like Emma Watson would be good for Kate. Okay. I think I feel like this list is entirely white people and Vanessa Hudgens. <laughs> Are you on thefamouspeople.com? Yeah. Yeah, there's Zoe Kravitz. Oh, oh, actually, Zoe Kravitz would be a great Rachel. Yeah. And then, given the Italianness of this, uh, I did see Lady Gaga on on here. Yeah, I feel like Lady Gaga should be in the film, not as any of the three wise girls, just like ah. on principle. Yeah. <laughs> she can be one of the regulars. Mm-hmm. And then not so subtly include some Lady Gaga as part of the soundtrack. Yes. I feel like she'd record a new song for this. Mm-hmm. Jamie Chung is 39, but she looks great. So I think Jamie Chung would be a good pick for Meg. Yeah. 
Because she does not look 39. I was worried that she wasn't even in her 30s. <laughs> no, just really great face. Also, I googled, I just googled Asian actresses, and the second result was Anime Wong. And listen, you're not wrong, but, but relevancy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think she's working in film anymore. Yeah, uh, it's been a hot minute since. Another option would be Jessica Henwick, but I feel like Jessica Henwick has been in, like, a lot of stuff recently. She, her star is definitely on the rise. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is not, like, a smaller thing, like... I was about to say, Jessica Henwick hasn't been in much lately, and then I looked at her, like, her filmography, and it's like, oh, right, Iron Fist, Love and Monsters, Underwater, The Matrix Resurrections, The Grey Man, Lives Out. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking budget-wise, it's probably one of those things where it's like, a lot of them, a lot of the budget is for the actors. Well, no, but here's the thing, is that you can put most of the budget towards the actors and the writer-director, because there's not like, we don't have to hire an effects studio, or I mean, we'll need some effects, there's the the action stunts, but like, that's literally just at the end. The rest of it is all just Mm -hmm. like, tension and concern. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, like, you could legitimately film this on Staten Island. Yeah, and then this is why whatever else you need, you just do it in a studio, exactly. which are readily available in New York. Exactly. This is why when you bring back the mid-budget films, because yes. you, they don't actually cost that much money. You'll have to spend a lot if you want big star power, but you save on not having to do anything else special. Yeah, most of the money that you are spending on this film goes to the director, the screenwriter, the producer, the actors. And your advertising. And, like, aside from the tell, the stars are a big draw. Same with, like, a director. If you can get, like, a good director attached to it who has, like, some solid work under their belt, then people will come. I want to see what else Lorraine Scafari has done, because I haven't heard much of her. Oh, she wrote Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, she directed Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Never mind, she's done a lot of stuff. Nice. And she's a composer. Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, okay, she 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 could did the composition for Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist and for Whip It. Okay. Still more talent than me. <laughs> but yeah, um I think we said this on Twitter, but like here at Not If I Reboot You First, we're we're more like about making the appropriate adaptations and reboots for things that needed it. Yeah. Yeah. The the stuff we talk about is either never gonna be re- remade or adapted. Or if it is, it's certainly not going to be from the perspective, like, from our perspective of what would make a good story. It's going to be, hmm, what can make us the most money? I don't know what yes. voice that was. <laughs> it was like, it was getting a little Martian Manhunter. Or, no, not Martian <laughs> Manhunter. Fuck, <laughs> Marvin! Marvin the Martian. <laughs> oh my god. Could you imagine John Johns with Marvin the Martian? Well, I'm the last son of Mars. Oh no, fire! I mean, his civilization did go out with an earth-shattering kaboom, so... (laughs) I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of its people. (laughs) See, superhero movies need to be like that. Yes! And on that note, we shall now uh, segue into a friendship promo. Hey, Jen. Hey, Jacqueline. 
What do you think the most significant YA book series like the 2000s to the 2010s is? Oh, definitely The Hunger Games. No, no, I mean like... Like, uh, Twilight, Twilight, that's the best No, one. no, I'm talking about the Percy Jackson series by Riordan. Uh, I've not heard of those. If I wanted to listen to a funny podcast about those, what would you suggest? Well, I would recommend Unwise Girls, which you and I host. This is a podcast where we reread, analyze, and frequently joke about the books of the Rick Riordan verse, and we see why people call these the best young adult magical series of the 2000s. And we always take time to declare which characters are canonically, factually, not cis-head, because Rick Riordan is not the boss of us. Listen to Unwise Girls every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Moonshot Network. This rose has gone further and further away from Marvin the Martian and turned into Stitch. So, Lindsay, <laughs> Ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind from finding out where you can be found on the internet. Um, I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476, and that's uh, Lindsay's pulp of the name. You can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart or on Tumblr at SparkyYoungUpstart.tumblr.com. I think that's correct. Um, and you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Natifier about you first, and they're pronounced... I'm gonna make them an offer you can't refuse. You can also email us at notifireboutyoufirst at gmail.com, or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your offers that come on the day of our daughter's wedding. That is also where you can send us a friendship promo, whether it's an audio clip or a proof for us to read, but either way, we will put in a free ad for your podcast or your YouTube or even your uh, authentic Italian restaurant. <laughs> Didn't come up with a region. I was thinking of birds now. <laughs> they have their own version of kebabs, so they win. Mm, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, not if I reboot you first as a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our cor- Corner Podcast Discord. Or pornographic podcast Discord. <laughs> My mouth couldn't do things. <laughs> it glitched. <laughs> As always, our cover art is by Alex Fierce, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and her theme music is done by Sean Clake, whose contact info is available upon request. Uh, this podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Sulphur, and Assiniboine, and homeland of the Métis. Alright, Lindsay, have you got a hint for us? Well, I think I'm gonna do something next time that is based off of her work. I felt should have gone a bit bigger back during my middle school years, so yeah. We'll do that. Alright. I'll be sure to check it out from my local library. Or find it at a local used bookstore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but until then, we will see y'all next week. I, I hope by this point we're back to weekly. I feel I feel I feel like we might be back to weekly by now. We'll see. Who knows? It might just be we'll fuck see. it whenever yeah. we feel like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but either way, we will see you sometime in the future, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. Bye.